Well, good morning. Great to have you here, and good morning to you again out in the uh, overflow room as well. I know Pastor Stephen has already done this for those of you in here, but I don't know if the overflow heard it. But any time that I say uh, he is risen or Christ is risen, you're going to repeat what? All right, an overflow, we need to hear you as well with that one, all right? So let me try it again. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. All right, all right. Well, welcome. If you would take out your uh, outline, and you can have that in front of you right now. And if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 20, that's where we're going to be looking today. Um, my name is Pastor Brad. I'm senior pastor here at First Baptist Church, and we are thrilled that you are here with us today. If you do not have a church family or church home, we would certainly encourage you to come back. We'd love for you to be a part of this family. You'll see in your bulletin as well that there is um, a series that we're just starting today called Answers. And uh, today we're looking at uh, how the resurrection changed everything. And you can see the next couple of weeks that are coming up as well. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the service. But we are entering into John chapter 20. And by the end of John chapter 20, we see so many lives that are being changed. And they're being changed because they keep meeting up with this risen Christ. They keep meeting up with this one who is a, a stranger, as the choir and the praise team just said. And uh, we see him as, who is this man when we begin, but when we end that chapter, we see that the people who have met with him just keep changing and changing and changing and changing. And so we hope that as we read through this passage here today, that God's Spirit might reveal itself to you as well. John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 start like this. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And in verses 3 through 7, we see kind of this relay race going on where John takes off and he gets to the tomb first, but then Peter comes and passes him up and goes into the tomb and looks, and then John comes in as well. And so in verse 8, it says, uh, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went into the tomb and he saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So they believed, but they weren't sure about this and what this all meant. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. And I personally believe that they went back still questioning. They went back still looking for answers, uncertain, not sure of what they had just seen. But again, by the end of this chapter, we see that the resurrection changes so many people's lives. And so we're going to just go right through this chapter and see the different lives that are changed. And so the first one there is the life of Mary. And you can write that down on your outline if you would. That is, for my loneliness, Jesus gives his presence. For my loneliness, Jesus gives his presence. What do I mean by this? Well, we just read about Peter and John. But as Peter and John leave the tomb, there's one person who is still left there at the tomb, and her name is Mary Magdalene. 
Now, for those of you who just kind of know the Easter story and you don't know a lot else about the Bible, yes, there were some women who came and saw them uh, or saw Jesus uh, there at the tomb very early in the morning, and yet we might see them as these perfect little ladies who prim and proper, and they've had their life together, they've been followers of Jesus, but that's not the case. In fact, if you go and delve into the story about Mary, here's what you will find out. Luke says that she was once possessed by seven demons before Jesus came and drove those demons out of her and returned her to her sanity. In fact, church tradition teaches that this Mary was the prostitute, the unnamed prostitute that is uh, following Jesus in different places and interacts with him. So just by this little bit of knowledge, we can see that Mary has been a demon-possessed, insane, probably living on the streets prostitute. And yet there's something more that you can see if you read between the lines. Because Mary is never named or shown as being with other family members. It's not in her name. We see other people who are called Mary of so-and-so, Mary of this mother, or Mary the sister of, or Mary the daughter of. We don't see that with Mary Magdalene. In fact, all we see is that her last name, so to say, is Magdalene, which simply says that's where she was from. Much like we've heard the name Jesus of Nazareth, this is just Mary Magdalene. That's where she was from. So she does not even have any family members. So you can see kind of on the social hierarchy, she is the low of the low, and her only family that she has now had, that is Jesus, who has been kind of her leader that she's been trying to follow around, he is now gone too. And so now it's no wonder that she stands there weeping and bewildered. And then Jesus, this is what's so cool about this, Jesus makes his first appearance to her, not to the disciples, not to the religious leaders, not to the Pharisees, Sadducees, kind of shove it in their face. He makes it to her, this former demon-possessed, insane prostitute. And you have to love that, that he makes it to her first, but also that he's kind of playful when he does it. In fact, look at verse 15. It says, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I mean, do you see kind of the humor in that? Kind of, he's got a little gleam in his eye, like, what's up? You doing all right? Everything okay here? Because it looks like maybe not. What, what, what's going on? Can I, can I help? Can I help with something? It says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then... All Jesus has to say is one word, and everything changes in our life. Everything. Look what that word is in John chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, what's the word he said? He said, Mary. Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I love that Jesus calls this lonely, lowly, outcast woman by name, which is a great indication that that's his same relationship with us. He calls us by name. In fact, 
in the scriptures, it talks about in John chapter 10, that he knows us by name. He calls his sheep by name, and he leads us out. He knows us by name. One of the most famous verses we know is John three sixteen, where it says, God so loved the entire world. But in John 10, 3, it says, no, I know you personally. I know you by name. That's how powerful God's truth is, that he loves us that personally. In fact, the next fill in there on your outline is this. Jesus' answer to the lonely is this. I'm here. I'm here for you. I am here. Spiritually, he is present. His risen power transcends time. It transcends space. There are no reservations about that. There are no restrictions on that. He is present for everyone, even here today. Derek Redman was a runner in the 1988 Olympics who was favored to win his race. And then he was injured on the day of his race and he could not compete in the 1988 Olympics. So he trained for another four years and was again favored to win when he went into the race in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. And um, looks like the video there. There's the video. It came up right there. This is actual footage, so it's not in HD because this is about 20-something years ago. Don't get spoiled on HD, right? No HD snobs here now. Um, The gun goes off, and he is again leading the pack, but about 250 meters away from the finish line, he again snaps his hamstring and pulls up lame. And he is, of course, devastated. And while the other runners continue to run past him, Derek lays there on the track, bewildered, lonely, once again in discouragement. As the other runners cross the finish line, he seems powerless, nothing he can do. And yet something within him says, get up and finish this race. Now, an amazing thing happens. You're going to see a man come out of the stands right there behind him right now, who's his father. And he has to kind of get through the security, and he comes along his son, and he comes and he says to his son, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to do this. It's okay. But Derek Redmond threw tears and says, no, I'm going. I'm going to finish this race. And we hear afterwards that his father put his arm around his son. And what he said to him over and over and over again was, it's okay, Derek. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here. His father is like shooing away the security. He's telling him, nope, this is my son. I'm going to finish the finish line. I'm going to cross the finish line with him. And he continues to tell his son, I'm here. I'm here. We are going to do this together. People obviously in the crowd stood and applauded for the effort that he gave on that day to finish the race and finish it well. Here's the thing. Can you kind of see yourself in that picture? Summarized by the fact that Jesus came to us when we were lame, when we were crippled, when we were downcast, when we were lonely. He comes to us when we're, clay, when we're dead and dying and crying in need of his help. And he says, what you're unable to do, I will help you do. I will help you cross the finish line. And he's whispering to us all along, it's okay. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. You know, today you could be sitting here in a room of hundreds of people. And on Easter Sunday, you might feel is that you are totally alone. 
You know what God's Spirit's saying to you today? You're not. I'm here. I'm here. In fact, in Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus says to us is, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. And that is an answer that you guys need to hold on to, that I need to hold on to every day, that he's here for us. Because with that fact, now stick with me on this one now, because with that fact, we know that Christ is risen. I'll give you about a B minus on that one, all right? Okay? Okay? Stick with me on that one. But here's what we know. We know for my loneliness, Christ gives his presence. Mary's life was never the same. And so she runs to tell the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 18. She says, I have seen him. He's alive. I've seen the Lord. And she tells him everything that she just heard and saw. But the disciples don't change. They don't change just by her story. They change because later on, they also experience the risen Lord. And that brings about the second point that's on your paper, which says, for my fears, he gives his peace. For my fears, he gives his peace. You know, in the 2000s, uh, fear has been a dominant, dominant emotion here in America. In fact, one poll not too long ago said over 70% of Americans feel very afraid. Fear of what? Fear of the economy, fear of losing a job, fear of terrorism, fear of uh, a world that your children or your grandchildren might grow up in, fear of uh, never finding a spouse, fear of just what may happen to you next, fear of your health concerns. Well, that's exactly where the disciples are at. They are not sure what is going to happen to them next. And so in John chapter 20, verse 19, look at what it says. It says, on the evening of that day. So the first day of the week, that is on that day when they went to the tomb, that evening, it says, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, do me a favor on this. Either in your Bible or on the outline, wherever you want to do this, would you circle the phrase, uh, for fear of? For fear of. Circle that phrase. See, what they had seen is they had seen what happened to Jesus. He was crucified. And then they started playing this what-if game. What if it happens to me next? You ever played that game, the, the what-if game, and it kind of makes you, you know, paralyzed, paralysis by analysis, kind of like, what if it happens to me? What if I fail? What if I never get better? What if I don't ever get married? What if someone sees me wearing my pajamas in Walmart? I mean, what if, what if, what if, right? You know you do it. You know you go 3 a.m. in the morning, you're in your pajamas, you know. What if, Right? What if? All these kind of the worst things that could ever happen to us. Now do me a favor. Circle the word doors were locked. Doors locked. And connect those two circles. That's what happens to us. When we are fearful, then we start shutting down. We start hiding. We start pulling back. But you have to love what happens there next. It says, but Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, what does he say? He says, peace be with you. 
In fact, in John chapter 20, verse 21, again, he repeats it. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. He goes on and says, John 20, 26, eight days later. So this is a week plus today. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then in Luke 24, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think when Jesus repeats that over and over and over again, there's something that he is saying by that. There's something pretty important that he wants us to get. There's something that says, you know what? If you're anxious, here's what you need. Let me just offer that to you today. Whatever you're facing this week, whatever you are facing this next month, whatever you walked in here kind of fearful about, Jesus says, my peace is with you. My peace is with you. And you may not be a churchgoer. You may not be someone who comes around very much, but boy, when you meet the risen Lord, that has to change things. He promises his peace to you. In fact, there's a great story that I, I love to share at Easter time. I, I shared this last year with our Crosswalk congregation, so some of you may have already heard this. But it's a story that comes from uh, Pastor Renee Schlepfer, who is a pastor in Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. And uh, he has a friend who um, just has this great outlook on life that he writes about in the book Thrill Rides. So let me just kind of tell you the story that he writes about. His friend's name is Dan, and he describes him as a follower of Christ um, who was handsome, uh, was a single dad and uh, was very successful in his uh, electrician business. He goes one day to the hospital, though, to kind of be checked out in the ER because he has a nagging cough. And uh, he doesn't get out for several months because the cough is really a nasty strain of pneumonia that has also been complicated by diabetes. And so Dan goes into a coma for two months. He uh, codes why he's doing that. That is basically he dies. He has to be resuscitated, not once, not twice, but three separate times. While they're treating him, they um, lacerate his, his voice box, so he can't talk very well anymore. He gets gangrene, and so they have to cut off the toes to his left foot, and then they have to cut off the toes to his right foot, and then they have to cut off his right foot, and then they have to cut off his right leg, and then they have to cut off his entire left leg as well. Along with that, they have to cut off part of his nose as well as the back of his scalp. Against all odds, Dan blinks his eyes one day, and he wakes up. Word back to the pastor, Renee, and so he comes into the hospital room, and, and Dan has a great sense of humor. And so as the pastor walked into the room, the pastor looks at Dan, and Dan looks back at the pastor and says, um, uh, Pastor, I woke up, and I found I wasn't half the man that I used to be. <laughs> now you think about that. What would you do? If you have lost your voice, you ruined maybe your good looks, you have no more legs, your career was over, your skills were gone... I think some of us would kind of slip into a little depression. We, we would be pulling back. We would not be having, you know, that much humor or fun with the situation. But he did. You know why? Because he had an incredible sense of peace with Jesus. To know that whatever comes my way, Jesus promises to walk through me with it. In fact, one time he came down, he met the pastor on the front row, and he's in his wheelchair. And so it's after a service, and he's kind of wheeling his way down. And he comes up to the pastor and says, hey, pastor, this week I'm getting prosthetic legs. 
The pastor, you know, kind of doesn't know how to respond to that, kind of like, uh, congratulations, I, I guess, type of thing. And Dan kind of picks up that he's a little uncomfortable, and he says, no, 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 it's a good thing, pastor. Um, for example, how, how tall are you? And the pastor says, well, I'm, I'm 5'11". He says, well, then I'm going to be six foot two." <laughs> now, the prosthetic legs that he had were, were great legs. In fact, you couldn't tell any different of that they were false or, or, or if they were his natural legs and, with pants on. And so... He does all the things that everybody else does. And one time he ends up going to Great America. And he comes and he tells again his pastor about this ride that he went on. And um, as he went to Great America, he said he wanted to go on the Invertigo ride there at Great America. And uh, some of you may have ridden that ride before. But it's one of those roller coasters that starts off kind of at full speed. And it does these quick corkscrews. And then it goes up to the top of a, of a kind of a ramp. And then it stops and then it comes back, and you go backwards, and again, whip, whipping around on the corkscrew, and then you go and you finish the ride. And to have a little bit more fun with it, what you are done, what you do is you, um, it's a track that is suspended up in air, and so you sit right here, and then someone else sits right there looking at you face to face, about three or four feet across, so I guess you can kind of yell at each other or something like that, scream, right? And... Um, uh, it's a ride that, again, has a track up top, so you get on the ride and your legs kind of dangle. Yeah, don't get ahead of me on that one, right? Right? Don't get ahead of me on that. But uh, Dan sits on this seat, and, and he's kind of suspended there in air, and he is across from a little girl, fourth or fifth grade girl, uh, that he's never seen before in his life. And so the ride starts, and she is shot out of there. And as soon as he is shot out of there, his legs shoot over his shoulders in an incredible angle that you cannot, you know, humanly is not possible. And Dan starts to laugh at this, and he thinks this is kind of funny. The girl is looking like, ooh. And as they go through the first corkscrew, they're flipping around and his legs start pinwheeling around like this. And they get to the corkscrew and he goes up the ramp and he's facing upward and all of a sudden the legs shoot out of his pants. (laughs) Torpedo one, torpedo two. I mean, can you imagine being in the park at Great America and you're walking by and you're like, hey... Let's go on the Invertigo. Whoa, no, no, let's not. Let's stick on the merry-go-round, right? Yeah. Well, he is just at the top of the roller coaster now. So he's got to come backwards and he goes backwards and he's whipping around and his pants are like flapping in the breeze like this. And the little girl in front of him is going, oh, no. I mean, can you imagine this girl? She's like on the playground the next day, like, don't go on a vertigo. You'll lose your legs. No, don't go. Don't go. I mean, she, she needs some therapy, right? The pastor asked, what, did you ever tell her, you know, what was going on, what was happening? He said, no, I was too busy laughing. I didn't have any chance to tell her. Now, I think about that story. I think about me. Think about you. Would we be too busy laughing if we were in that kind of a situation? Would we even be on that ride to have that kind of fun? Or would we just kind of say, woe is me, 
Life is over. Ah, can't go out. Too fearful. Too afraid of what people are going to think. No, when, when you have a piece of Christ that is in you, it, it changes your life. It makes you different. In fact, Pastor Renee asked Dan one time, he said, um, you know, what makes you different? What, what, what is it? And Dan said this. He said, Pastor, I believe that verse out of Romans 8.28 that says, God will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says, my life is living proof of that verse. You know, many of you in here have experienced that same kind of peace to that verse. I know that verse has brought me peace in my life. Because even if I can't find the answers here in this life, they'll be in the life to come. And I have to be at peace, knowing that whatever I am going through, God is working it out for his good, for his purpose, and for his glory. And if you're not quite there yet, or if you don't understand that concept yet, would you come next week? And we're going to talk about how God uses things in our lives for his good, for his glory, so that you can have that kind of peace, so that you can know that even in the midst of some of your tragedy, God is still working. Amen? Amen. The fact is, if Jesus can be raised from the dead, what can't he do? I mean, think about that. If he is raised from the dead, what can't he do in your life and my life? And that includes giving you peace. The resurrection changes everything. And so on your outline, you can write down there at the bottom, Jesus' answer to the anxiety is my peace. I give you my peace. It is there for you. To the fearful, the fact is, and follow me on this one now, the fact is that Christ is risen. Amen. Amen, he's risen indeed. That brings you peace. However, there's one more person in this story, if you read through John chapter 20, who was missing from being with the disciples when they were in that upper room. His name is Thomas. And even though the other 10 disciples now are super energized, in fact, in John 20, verse 25, it says, we have seen the Lord, we have seen him, we, we know, we, we, we saw him. Thomas is not energized. Thomas is not thrilled. In fact, you can see in that verse that basically he is saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Unless I can touch, unless I can touch the nail prints in his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. I'm not buying it. And then he gets his chance. In fact, your next outline, your next feeling on the outline is at the top of the back page. It says, for my doubts, Jesus gives his proof. For my doubts, he gives his proof. How do we know this? Because what it says in verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Again, they were still kind of fearful, even though they had the peace. They weren't quite sure what to do with this. They were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, what's he say again? I peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Thomas never stopped talking about Jesus from that day because he goes beyond the facts. He sees the risen Lord, and Thomas becomes the most aggressive evangelist. We just got done with a kind of a three-part series on evangelism the last three weeks. He becomes the most aggressive evangelist if you consider geography by geography because he goes to India sharing the message of Jesus that people cannot shut him up for because the doubter becomes the most enthusiastic witness. And so Jesus' answer at the bottom of the page or at the uh, middle of the page is to the doubting, all you got to do is touch me. Just touch. Try me. Touch me. See if I am real. Now, if I was Jesus, I think I would have said something a little differently. Like I might have looked at Thomas and said, drop dead, buddy. Right? I mean, I think I would have given him a little bit of, get out, you don't belong here anymore, how dare you doubt me? But he does none of that. None of that. He simply says, go ahead, Thomas, touch me. And that communicates volumes about Jesus, that he is not angered, that he's not, you know, afraid. He, he's not humiliated by us when we doubt him. He says, go ahead, give me your toughest questions. Try me, trust me. Touch me. Taste and see. In fact, the psalmist says it like this, Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, that challenge goes out to each of us because what's interesting at the end of this passage is it says, Jesus says to Thomas, you have believed because you have seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, I realize there are some of you in here today who are in that boat who are saying, I am not so sure about this Jesus person. I came here because grandma or mom or a friend brought me, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it may be, my wife, my husband brought me here. I'm, I'm not so sure about this. Well, let me, let me give you a few answers. Let me kind of summarize some things up just as we're ending this message. In fact, take your outline back out if you would and look over those three main points that I gave you. It says, for my loneliness, he gives his presence. You know how we experience that here at First Baptist? There's a lot of us who are in what we call community groups or small groups Home groups, Sunday school classes, electives, where we choose to come together and be a family together and to study God's word and to experience the living Christ in the midst of what we do. That helps in the loneliness. That's where Jesus says, my presence is there. I'm here. Next thing we went and looked at, it says, for my fears, he gives me peace. You know how we experience that here at First Baptist? We believe the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. When we receive him by faith, he comes and indwells in our lives. That's the only way we have peace. Because it's not our peace, it's his peace that he gives to us. Now on the back of the page, we says, for my doubts, he gives his proof. Let me do this. If, if you specifically are doubting right now, let me give you a few challenges. Um, one would be that perhaps the person who brought you here today, if you were invited here, they would be honored to get to talk to you a little bit more about their testimony. They would be honored to get to share about what they know about Jesus. Or if you would like, come talk to me. I'd be more than happy. In fact, I had one person take me up from the 8 o'clock service. They said, Pastor, let's go, let's do it. In fact, I'm taking, I'm buying you lunch if you want to go out to lunch as well. There is such thing as a free lunch around here at First Baptist Church, right? I'll do that. 
I think it is that important to get this settled, to get this right. Eternity is in the balance for you if you're still waffling or wavering. However, I realize that can be a little intimidating. So let me give you a couple other steps. And Pastor Scott talked about this just a second ago. The book, The Case for Christ, we have it available out there in the um, Next Step Center. It's free to you if you want to pick it up. In fact, if you're a first-time visitor here today, it's in a bag. If you're not a first-time visitor but you've been coming for a while, if you'd still like to pick one up, please do so. We also next week have a class that begins at 1115 in our chapel, which is right next door. You just go out the walkway and you'll see it right next door. If you would come and just explore your faith, again, it is that important for you to know about your faith. It is that important for you to decide, what do I believe about this Jesus, this stranger as the praise team sang about? I'm not sure I know enough. I want to know more. This book is written by a man by the name of Lee Strobel, who was a a, a journalist for the Chicago Sun. And uh, he set out to disprove Christianity, but ended up becoming a Christian because of the evidence that he saw. And so we want to encourage you, if you would explore that, even if you are a solid Christian, you want to just explore the facts more, you are more than welcome to do that. Let me give you a third step, though, that you could take. And it's in your bulletin, so if you want to pull out your bulletin real quick, see that little area down in the bottom corner? If it feels a little intimidating to go out to lunch with someone and talk to them about it, feels a little imitating to get in, uh, intimidating to get into a group, would you at least come over the next two weeks? Because this first question that we're going to be answering next week, why do bad things happen to good people, is one that I've experienced that people just shun God because they say, why did God take my mother from me? Why did God allow my father to die? Why did God allow my wife or my husband to have cancer? Why did God take my brother? Why did this happen to me? Why did I lose this? Why about this? And we just want to look at that and see what God thinks about that, to see what God's word says about that, to come up with some answers. And again, if you're someone who is coming around here at First Baptist and you're already kind of solid in your faith, you still need to hear this because that question gets asked over and over and over again. And there's a, there's a gap there of how do we get over that so that someone can have a faith in a God who loves them, not out to hurt them, but loves them very much. I pray that you'll come and be a part of that. And then the second week, it's May 4th, we're going to talk about the afterlife. How about the answer to that? Is Jesus really the only way to God the Father? He says he is. Do you believe that? First Baptist, we believe that. Why? Why do we believe that? How do we know for certain that is? Now, many of you here have already said yes to those questions. You have bet your life on it. You know where your faith is. But there's a number of you who haven't made that decision yet. There's a number of you who still need to decide that. The next two weeks are worth your effort. They're worth your time to come and say, let me figure this out. Let me make a decision one way or the other on this. Because when I'm convinced when you find the answer you're looking for as God's going to reveal it to you, that will change everything. It changed everything for Mary. It changed everything for the disciples. It changed everything for specifically Thomas the disciple. And if you come and you explore that and you experience that as well, the life of Jesus, you will come to see, as Mary did, as the disciples did, as Thomas did, as hundreds across this auditorium have as well, that Christ indeed, and follow me on this one now, that Christ is risen. risen Let me say it one more time if you believe it. Christ is risen. risen 